Well, good morning, everybody. How are my sleep-deprived Timberline family doing? I, uh, I almost forgot, which would have been awkward this morning. I set three alarm clocks on Sunday morning because I'm paranoid. And uh, my wife is back in England at the moment, so I'm home alone eating food unfit for human consumption. But glad we all made it here today. We are continuing this generosity series, and this weekend I want us to think about the word legacy. Legacy is the key word and the title for this message. And we're going to look together at a man who exemplifies a positive legacy. His name is Barnabas, and we uh, read about him in a variety of passages in the New Testament. We're going we're gonna to zoom in to Acts chapter 11, because this passage specifically talks about his legacy. Acts 11 verse 19 says this, Meanwhile, the believers who'd been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Here it comes. Barnabas was a good man. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Legacy. Legacy, when we... Perhaps when we hear that word, our minds immediately go to something that someone leaves when they pass, an inheritance, a bequest, something that is left to somebody in a will, legacy. And of course, that's a correct use of the word. But the word legacy has much broader application and meaning than that. You see, legacy is, is not just about money or stuff. Legacy, I suggest, is about impact, impression made. Legacy. Writing to a young pastor called Timothy, the Apostle Paul encouraged him to live life as an example. And the word example there in the Greek is the word tupos, which means to stamp something, to make an impression on a tablet of wax, to leave a lingering mark. Um, some of you know that I spend some of my time writing Bible notes. And I was writing this morning, and I have to write not just to a particular word count, but to a character count. And so I highlight the text, and it shows me that I've written 1,400 characters. Have you ever wondered why we use the word character to describe letters of the alphabet? It's because in ancient times, this word was used because uh, brickmakers or engravers would mark their work, if you will, with a character that said, this is the person who made this. And I think that's a rather interesting play on words. If we want to make a mark, it will be through character. And whether we like it or not, we all leave a legacy, whether we consciously choose to or not. It's been said that some people leave a mark and others leave a stain. 
Legacy is not just about when we're old or when we die, and it's not just about a life. It can be about a moment. It can be about an action. It can be about a word spoken that leaves an impression or an impact. J.R. Miller, I think about 100 years ago, said this, There are meetings of only a moment which have left impressions for life, for eternity. No one can understand the mysterious thing we call influence, yet every one of us, every one of us continuously exerts influence either to heal, to bless, to leave marks of beauty, or to wound, to hurt, to poison, and to stain other lives. We, we're making a mark. Now, that can be that can be negative. It can be a negative impression. I can think back in my own life, and I share this moment with you, not for your sympathy or to uh, be comforted, but just to illustrate the point. When I was 12, my brother was 19, and he bought his girlfriend home for tea at our house. Uh, hot tea, not iced tea, as we know. That's devilish. And uh, <laughs> just kidding. And uh, he bought her home tea, and there was a moment when um, my parents were in the kitchen and my brother was outside the room. It was just me and the new girlfriend. And I remember, like it was yesterday, when she looked across the table at me and she said, Jeffrey, it's a shame, isn't it, that you're not as handsome as your brother? Yeah. Yeah. I know some of you are desperate to comment right now, and <laughs> if anyone says amen, I'm going to cry, but I share the moment with you because actually it was just an aside, it was just a comment, but it profoundly affected my adolescence, I, and positively as well, uh, a comment, and it's not just from people that are older than us. Um, my grandkids, it's my grandson Stanley's eighth birthday, and preachers with grandkids, we, we, have, to, we have to make a vow to God that we're not going to talk endlessly about our grandchildren because, frankly, people lose the will to live when you do that. But I have been impacted, an impression has been made upon me by them. So like my grandson Stanley, uh, a couple of years ago, I'll never forget it, he said, Granddad, you make me laugh in ways that I don't make me laugh. I love that. A few weeks ago, Kay was playing Super Mario. Does anyone know what that is? It's a video, it's a video game. And see the way I dramatically acted that out right there. That was powerful. And she was playing Super Mario with uh, Stanley. And she wasn't doing very well. And they have like charts. They have a ranking list on the screen. And Stanley said, Grandma, you're at the bottom of the list. And Alex, who is five, came over to Kay and he said, Grandma, you're always going to be at the top of my list. Come on, baby. You see, making an impact. Legacy. Here's a man that I've met before, but I spent some time with him this week. This is Tom Patterson. Tom Patterson is a resident of... Fort Collins. This man is a genius. He sat outside Stanford University completely broke and because he'd seen some laser technology, he dreamed up the original technology for the ATM machine. His name is on the patent. Tom Patterson worked with Roy 
and Walt Disney, and this man invented Space Mountain at Disney World and Disneyland, a ride that some of you have been traumatized on. That's quite a legacy. But let me tell you his real legacy. Tom, Tom his, first, his daughter, when she was 12, she died of spinal cancer. And Tom hit the bottle, and he realized that he was going to either die at the bottom of a bottle of alcohol, or he was going to trust God. He's a follower of Jesus. And declare that God is good, whatever the circumstance. He decided to do the latter. His son passed away in a boating accident. And then his second son stopped to help a lady on a highway. Her car had broken down and he was hit by a truck and killed. His first wife died. He remarried. His second wife died. So when that man, when that man says to us as a gathered group this week, God is good. Don't be afraid. Jesus will be with you whispering in your ear. When he says that, superseding ATM machines and Space Mountain, there is a legacy, an impression that is made. Here's a question. Have you ever thought about what people might say at your funeral or, or what you might have written on your tombstone? An interesting question. The British comedian Spike Milligan, he's, they asked him about his tombstone. He said, I want you to write, I told you I was sick. I thought that was pretty clever. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if something like this was said? He or she was a good person full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And that's what's said about Barnabas. His name is mentioned 25 times in the book of Acts, five times in the epistles. One of the core leaders in the early church, an apostle, a prophet, a worker of miracles, came from Cyprus, well-to-do family. He had land he was able to dispose of. He is related to a family in Jerusalem that was part of the church. His aunt Mary, his cousin John Mark, they had a servant. They had a home big enough for prayer gatherings. He was also probably pretty good looking. Not just to get back onto that theme, but I'm working these things out. You say, how do you know what he looked like? Well, on one occasion, he was mistaken for Zeus. And Zeus was a good-looking character, handsome man. I spoke at a church once, and a Dutch lady came up to me, and she said, uh, she said, I'm from Holland. I said, that's nice. She said, in Holland, we tell the truth. We just say it the way it is. She said, if we think you're ugly, we'll tell you. You're ugly. I said, oh. I said, that's never happened to me. She said, so, you haven't been to Holland yet then. Barnabas, whatever he looked like, was a good man. So what does that mean for us, and what can we learn from his life? If you're following in the bulletin, follow along with me. Number one, point number one is this. If we want a legacy of goodness, let's lead the way in generosity. If we want a legacy of goodness, let's lead the way in generosity. The first time we meet Barnabas, we see him leading the way generously. Look at this. Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money 
and put it at the apostles' feet. He, he doesn't wait for everybody else to be generous. He's not following the crowd. He's initiating. He's leading the way. Some years ago, I was due to speak in a church in Salt Lake City. And here's what happens sometimes when I go to other churches. I say, is there anything you want me to preach about? And they'll say, you just, tell, you just preach whatever God tells you. And I say to God, what do you want me to preach? And sometimes everything's quiet. And I'm like, I don't know what to preach. And I'm sitting on the airplane to Salt Lake City getting frantic because I couldn't think of what to say. And I felt like God whispered to me, just tell them to step up to the plate. Step up to the plate. Uh, at that time, I didn't even know where that phrase comes from. It's, it's a baseball term, right? Is that right? Am I right? I'm trying to figure out American sports. Like, I'm trying to get into football, you know. It's so complicated. I mean, like, it's a bunch of guys in crash helmets beating the living daylights out of each other, and every two minutes they stop and measure the field. What's that about? I mean, I'm confused. <laughs> and baseball, don't be offended. I'm just kidding. But baseball, I mean, what's with the statistics Yes, the pitcher has eaten breakfast 43.7 times in the last 28.3. Who cares? <laughs> but step up to the plate. It's a baseball term. Well, you know, I'm, I'm on an airplane flying to Salt Lake City. Good morning, everybody. Nice to be here. I, I believe the Lord wants you to step up to the plate. Have a, have a nice day. God bless you. Some of you are looking at me right now saying you should preach more sermons that brief is very rude so I didn't because sometimes we think we have better ideas than God I preached another sermon we had a nice time so people became Christians and after the service I went out with the pastor to eat some dead chicken and we're sitting around the table and I said how's the church going he said it's going good he said we're starting a brand new sermon series next week I said oh that's cool What's it about? What's it called? He said, well, we want to encourage people to, to initiate. He said, we're calling it Step Up to the Plate. <laughs> and I heard a voice from heaven saying, duh. <laughs> Stepping up. Let me tell you a story that is designed not to make me look good, but make me look bad. Most of my stories go that way. Years ago, when we were church planting, Kay and I, our first child, Kelly, had arrived. She was one year, one year old. We had a lovely family in our church, a lady and her two daughters. Her husband had gone years before left her. She was dying of cancer. She was from an Afro-Caribbean background. I say that simply to express the truth that her wider family were around the world. No one to help. And I used to go visit Mrs. Robinson and I'd go to her home and I'd say, how you doing? And she'd say, Pastor Jeff, I'm not worried about dying, but I'm worried about my girls. What's going to happen to my girls if I go home to be with Jesus? And I'd say, don't worry, honey, you know, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. It's what the Bible says. Amen. Let's pray. I'd go. The next week, I'd go see her, and I'd say, how you doing, Mrs. Robinson? She'd say, well, Pastor, I'm fine with dying, but I'm worried about my girls. I'd say, don't worry. He knows the way you take. The Lord is concerned for the widow 
and the orphan. He will care for this situation. Amen. Let's go. Let's pray. Let's go. And I say that every week. One day I came out of her house and I'm saying the Lord spoke to me a lot. I don't want to give the impression that I hear from God 40,000 times a day because I don't. In fact, I wish he was louder. Maybe I need to listen more. Are you like that? You think, is that God? Is that me? Is that the flesh? Is that the devil? Is that last night's pizza? What's going on? (laughs) And I came out of her house and I felt like God said to me, how do I take care of it then? And I'm like, I don't know. That's your job. You're God. Figure it out. And I felt like the Lord said, why don't you take care of it for me? Now, we've got a, we, we're living in a two-bedroom house, and we've got a child. Well, this is crazy. So I decided to pray a fleece. Now, some of you don't know what that is. Some of you do. And I don't recommend this because crazy stuff, you know, it can be silly. The idea is you pray that something impossible will happen, but you know it won't happen, so you won't have to do what you said you'll do if it will happen. Like, oh, Lord, I will give everything away if today I go to Safeway and I meet an 11-foot-tall Japanese bassoonist in aisle 13. That's never going to happen, so that's okay. So I said, here, all right. I said, okay, God, I'm going to go home now and I'm going to walk into the house and I'm going to say to Kay, why don't we foster Hazel and Denise? And if you want us to do this, she will just say, sounds like a good idea to me. I'm like, that's gotcha. That's never going to happen. So I walked into the house and she was ironing, ironing, ironing. I said, hey, honey, I think we should foster Hazel and Denise. And she said, sounds like a good idea to me. (laughs) And yes, we took advice. And yes, we met with social services. And yes, we took counsel. And yes, we prayed. This was not an irresponsible decision. There came a day when Mrs. Robinson summoned her girls into her bedroom. She sat up in bed, punched the pillow to make herself comfortable. And she said, girls, I'm going home to be with Jesus now. And you're going to go and live with Jeff and Kay. And then she laughed out loud and died. That's the way to go. We got the phone call. Come and get the girls. Why do I tell you the story? It's not to make me or Kay look good, because I tell you what, they gave us more than we ever gave them. Just a few months ago in England, we attended Hazel's wedding. We were the beneficiaries. Here's the point. I didn't want to do it. I wanted somebody else to do it. Barnabas led the way. What are we waiting for? Secondly, let's find ways to encourage. Let's find ways to encourage. You see, that characterizes Barnabas. Look at this, this verse. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means... 
son of encouragement. If you were here a few weeks ago, you'll know that Pastor Brent told us that Barnabas was not called Barnabas. His name was Joseph. But he was such an encourager that they changed his name. I don't know whether you like your name. I don't like my name, Jeffrey. I don't like, I mean, if your name is Jeffrey, then God bless you and I love it. But I don't like it. For me. Jeffrey sounds like a children's puppet, doesn't it? Here's Jeffrey. <laughs> Say hello to the children. Hello, children. They changed his name. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And an element to that Greek word is the word paraclete, which is a word for the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside. Barnabas drew alongside people. He encouraged. Truman Cathy said, how do you identify someone who needs encouragement? It's easy. That person is breathing. Are you an encourager intentionally? Do people walk away from you going, yeah? Or do they go, hmm. Here is somebody who intentionally decided to encourage and it just happened to be his dad. My son, he was the last child, the only boy. So my dad's a, a counselor. I think I hit the stage where my dad was not very cool and I didn't want to let him know me. That's when we began to sense he was closing down. We definitely bumped heads quite a bit. And then I found out my dad had Parkinson's. I didn't know how to respond. It was more in the denial mode. So I had a job lined up on Wall Street right after college, making the money Wall Street can give you. I was not wanting to let my life be controlled by money. One way to do that is you give it away. So I started reverse tithing, giving 90% of my profits to help people. So I called and asked, what's on your bucket list, Dad? What are your dreams? Graham said, I really want to be there for your later years, fighting this disease. I remember crying on the phone. It's like, wow, he really stepped back in my life. I guess thinking through Parkinson's and just what's ahead, wanting to make the most of each day, as well as not have any regrets with my relationship with him. A few months later, he goes, well, I got a bonus. I want to take everybody to Costa Rica. We met his favorite author in Seattle. We went to an NBA playoff game. The bucket list has definitely changed my view on Parkinson's. I'm free to dream. The golden years are actually going to be golden, even though I'm fighting this disease. Yeah, I never know what's coming next. To fight it, you just keep exercising, keep moving, just hit it head on. So he called me up and said, Dad, let's do a marathon. I think there was definitely a feeling of, uh, we're in this together. Graham's encouragement gives me more hope. Instead of giving up, he got stronger.
He was there a little every step of the way, and I see him doing the same thing with me and Parkinson's. Seeing him be the father that he's been, it's a way of being generous that also leads to love. I hope to be you know, one-tenth of that someday. Words can express what that means as a parent, and that does something to a dad's heart. I love that, I love that image of the two running together, the son coming alongside his dad. And it prompts a question as we, before we move on. Barnabas got a name change. If your family or work colleagues changed your name after your current primary characteristic, not what you used to be or what you'd like to be, but what you are, what might that name be? It's something to think about and reflect on this week. All right, let's move on. Thirdly, if we're going to have a good legacy, let's celebrate the stories of God. Let's celebrate the stories of God. You see, when I look at the early church, I see a church that knew how to gather stories and share them. Let me give you an example. Uh, Paul, when his name was still Saul, tried to go to join the church in Jerusalem about three years after he became a Christian. They're terrified of him because he was the persecutor that killed many of their number. You understand that. So Barnabas stepped in. Look at what we read in Acts 9. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. You see, there was an awareness of this other person's story, so much so that Barnabas was able to represent Saul and vouch for him. You know, one of the, it's an aside, but one of the greatest gifts of generosity we can give to people is just listening. Paul Tournier said, listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples. They are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. So let's listen, but also let's be willing to share our family stories. How do you, how do you create a generous context in your family? Share your stories, family stories. My dad, my dad was a prisoner of war for four years, about nine miles from Auschwitz he was held. He escaped, worked his way across Germany. But that's about all I know. He never shared the fullness of his story. Why not generate generosity in your family, in your friendship circles by sharing the adventure of generosity? You say, but aren't we supposed to give secretly? Well, yes and no. You see, the Pharisees gave with trumpets accompanying their giving. They were drawing attention to themselves, and Jesus challenged that because their motive was wrong. But does that mean that stories of generosity should never be shared? Well, Barnabas' story of giving a field has been shared with millions to inspire these videos. Jesus taught about private prayer, go into your closet and pray alone because the Pharisees were making a big fuss. Does that mean prayer meetings are wrong? Of course not. Jesus is addressing motivation. Are there stories of generosity to be shared, especially in our family? Let's be a people who celebrate those stories. Well, the last thing is this, fourthly, and that is if we're going to be good people, let's open doors 
for others. Let's open doors. That's what generosity does. Barnabas opened the door of the Jerusalem church to Saul. Then 10 years went by. Saul went back to his home city of Tarsus, and we know nothing about what happened then. No church was planted there. Then Barnabas goes to Antioch. There's a massive move of God in Antioch, and he needs some help. So he travels 150 miles, and no buses were available, to Tarsus, and he hunts Paul down. He searches for him. He brings him back to Antioch. Look at this. He'd opened the door to Jerusalem, the church there, and now he opens the door to the Antioch church, and that door opening leads to a year of ministry together and then a missionary journey shared together as well. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, it says. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Kay and I came to America 31 years ago and we moved to Oregon. And we love and have always loved America, but we were homesick. We were bewildered. People couldn't understand us in the drive through <laughs> They still can't. Driving was different. Words were different. Everything was different. Our family was 6,000 miles away. Culturally, it was different. Everybody in the town where we lived, all the guys went hunting. I'd never done that, and I still have never been able to. I couldn't shoot anything, I don't think. They took me hunting. It was ridiculous. You could hear the deer laughing in the woods. It was pathetic. <laughs> and then we moved to Albany in Oregon, and we're again feeling homesick. Two things happened. Number one, I thought we were going to have to give up and go back to England. And I went to a men's retreat, and I heard this guest speaker, and he challenged me, and he made sense. And having heard him, I decided that we could stay. You might know the guy. His name is Dick Both. So him and Ruth being here is a priceless gift to my family and I. But then we met Milton and Barbara. Here's Milton and Barbara. He looked different back then. He's a guy from Tennessee. Back then, he looked like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> this beautiful Tennessee drawl, which I won't try to impersonate. They opened doors for us. We had nowhere to live. We were looking for a place to rent. They opened the doors of their home. They said, come in, stay as long as you like. They opened the doors of their friendship circle to us. Their friends became our friends. Their church, their church became our church. They became surrogate grandparents to my kids. They even talk about renaming. Milton gave my kids nicknames. Gracious, beautiful Kelly. He called her Lady Fawn. Richard, cheeky. He called him Sir Fox. Three weeks ago, I got a call from Milton's doctor. He's a mutual friend. He said, Jeff, Milton has asked me to call you. He said, today I gave him the diagnosis. 
he has just a couple of weeks to live. Excuse me, a couple of months to live. And he wanted you to know, our son lives in Washington, D.C. He said, Milton said, call Jeff and Kay. And he said, and call Sir Fox too. I'd like him to know. Sir Fox, otherwise known as Richard, called Milton that night. And then it was my turn to call him. I'm a pastor. I try and say encouraging stuff. I'm searching for words. And he said this. I said, Milton, I'm sorry to hear about the diagnosis. Some of you are thinking, are you praying for his healing? Yes, but we're preparing if healing doesn't come. And he said this. He said, don't you worry, Brother Jeff. He always calls me Brother Jeff. He said, I'm going to see Jesus. It looks like I'm going to see Jesus a bit sooner than I thought. But he said, I'm going to a place where there is no time. So he said, soon we'll be together again. And he said, I'll tell you what, Brother Jeff. He said, I'll, when I get to heaven, I'll hold the door open for you. He opened doors for me in life. And I don't know whether St. Peter is nervous. The traditional gatekeeper. But now he wants to open doors in death. I said, Milton, we're going to try and get there. We're going to have a meal. So don't you go off and be with Jesus too quick because we're going to get there to see you. We're trying to find a way. But I was able to say this. I said, Milton, if, if we don't get there, we're going to share another meal in the future. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And there will be millions there. But Milton, I know exactly where to find you amongst the millions. You'll be holding the door. Barnabas was a good man, strong in faith, full of the Holy Spirit. It made, made an impression. By the grace of God, may legacy be ours. Good women, good men, strong in faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Legacy. Pray with me, will you? Let's pray. We are grateful, Lord, because fragile as we are and imperfect as we are, we have the opportunity to live lives of legacy, lives that make a mark and not a stain. We'd like to lead the way in generosity. Would you help us to do that? Would you unsettle us from any complacency help us to step up to the plate help us to draw alongside others and encourage show us opportunities to strategically do that may our name changes be positive Help us to celebrate our stories, to listen to each other, and to inspire each other along this journey. Barnabas's generosity was recorded. Help us to create friendship and family cultures that 
nurture generosity. And this week, Lord, we're asking this. We're asking that we might open doors for others. Barnabas did it for Saul. Milton's doing it for me. Grant us the ability to do the same. We agree together. Just take a second or two to whisper your prayer. So we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen.